The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 157. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Cathexis. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. And retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And get, leave us comments in both places. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so this is uh, Cathexis. It's a first season episode, jumping back and forth from the first to the fourth season. And this is the four, the thirteenth episode of the first season. And so, let's talk about the title, <laughs> Cathexis, because okay. the word's never used in the episode. I looked it up, and it's a psychoanalytical term meaning investment of mental or emotional energy in a person, object, or idea. Right. Any clue what that has to do with today's episode? <laughs> well, there's a, there's mental energy that's involved in in this episode. They call it bioneural energy, and uh huh, and that's about it. That's about yeah. Well, the energy is invested in people, I guess, by going into them and taking them over. I feel like Brandon Braga, who wrote this, like he found like he was reading a, a magazine and saw it, and said, that's a cool word. I need to incorporate that into an episode of Star Trek Voyager I, I, or I will, something. I will say, though, Dom, every time you say that word, Cathexis, I want to say, God bless you. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're sneezing. Gesundheit. <laughs> right. Why don't you do the recap, and then I'll get into the weird things that we ha- that okay. we start with. So Chakotay and Tuvok return to the ship on a shuttlecraft. Tuvok says they were at a dark matter nebula where they were attacked by aliens. Uh, Chakotay's bioneural energy has been drained, and he is brain dead. To help Chakotay, Voyager starts to go back to the nebula to find a way to heal him, but weird things keep happening that stop them from getting back to the nebula. The crew deduces that an alien consciousness is temporarily possessing people and causing them to sabotage the ship, and this leads to a game of paranoia. Eventually, it's revealed that there are two entities possessing people. One is an alien that wants to get Voyager into the nebula so that the aliens that live there can feast on everyone's bioneural energy. And the other entity is Chakotay, who knows what's what and is trying to stop them from going into the nebula and being feasted upon. In the end, the alien is defeated, Voyager escapes from the nebula, and Chakotay's consciousness is reintegrated into his brain. Very good. That that actually makes it sound like almost like an interesting episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, what I was going to talk about was this teaser, which which uh, I gratefully you didn't mention because it doesn't really have anything to do with the actual story, and that's right. the weird part of it. Is you have this teaser where Janeway is in a hollow novel, in set in 
ancient England, quote unquote, uh, Victorian or Regency England of the 19th century of some sort, where she's playing a governess for a, a widower. And I'm like, what is the point of this extended it's scene? Filler. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. It's, it has nothing to do with the episode. It's just filler because the main plot isn't interesting enough to sustain the whole episode. And so we get this, uh, you know, historical fantasy thing that's incorporating elements of Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre and Henry James's The Turn of the Screw. Okay. So if you're a fan of it, it I mean, it's obvious a mile off that, uh, you know, that her character is meant to end up married to the, yeah, right. the Lord of the Manor, but his his supposedly dead wife is living on the fourth floor of the house and at some point will break out. And it's like, yes, if, if your wife is a fan of this period literature like mine was, then you've seen these tropes before. The governor, <laughs> the governess coming in, the initially distant but ultimately romantic and misunderstood Lord of the Manor and the crazy wife in the attic. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I guess there was – this comes back again later in the season, I'm pretty sure, I, I, if, if my recollection is correct. Um, but it was apparently supposed to be – they had this idea of having Janeway doing an extended hollow novel through the season. Right. And the original idea I was reading was that it was going to be set in the Wild West and that she was going to be a, a pioneer woman with her family, uh, far from home in situations she was unprepared for. A little on yeah, the nose there. Yeah, a little um, – definitely on the nose there. <laughs> But it was abandoned. That idea was abandoned because Kate Mulgrew wouldn't work with horses. And <laughs> and they realized how much it would cost them to have all yes. the location shooting and the horse wranglers and, yep. and bringing in a whole other cast of people to play her family every time they wanted to do this. Mm. And uh, frankly, this would be much more interesting. The, the Victorian novel would be yeah. much more interesting than the Wild West thing. Right. Yeah. Per personally, uh, I, yeah. Think, I think when they get, get to uh, Leonardo da Vinci in the fourth season, that's much better. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I think they, f they finally figured out how to do the extended holodeck story that complements in mm -hmm. a better way than not perfectly. I mean, Haven is kind Ugh. of interesting, but yeah, Wait, it has the problems. Irish thing. No, I hate that. Yeah. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There were, there were some, there were some mm -hmm. things that were okay, but they had, it had its issues, but there were some things that were okay. Uh, the best thing about Haven is that the set, the Irish village, I know we're not talking about Cathexas, it tells you how bad the episode was. The best thing about <laughs> Haven was the set was the one that they end up using again in The Good Place. That's what I love about that. Uh -huh. oh, <laughs> it's the same cool. set. Yeah. yeah, it's the same set. That. So it anyway. Was, it was a story of set redemption. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's, incidentally, so, the, uh, the Simpsons, you know, so I, like, I kind of like this idea of having a hollow novel within the show that we see pieces mm -hmm. of. Right. It the Simpsons actually did something similar to that over many many seasons, and, and it's not obvious because yeah. they don't have a holodeck on the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. But what they do have is the character, the Arnold Schwarzenegger stand-in McBain. Yes, and it was revealed after many years that fans discovered if you take all the clips of the McBain movie we see, they actually string together to form a semi-coherent plot. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> That's yes, awesome. yes. It's things you could do when you when you are on on for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you said, Jimmy, the, the Chakotay's brain has been drained of bi all the bioneural energy. Is that even is that even a thing? Is that a plausible no. idea? It's scientifically, I mean, well, it's it's beyond it. It, it, it has nothing to do with modern science. Okay. Right. 
the now it it's not a soul because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. bioneural energy so it's a, it's an empirical phenomenon yeah but if you're talking about how does our brain work on the level of real world physics there's no such thing as bioneural energy the neurons in our brains uh run electrochemically mm-hmm. but there's nothing distinctively biological or neural about that energy right. other than the fact it is in a biological system in the neurons but it's it's still ordinary chemical phys- chemical and electrical energy That's and right. so it's not a distinct type of energy and if you if you if you drained it all out what whatever that would mean <laughs> you're you're basically saying he's his, he's not just brain dead but he's dead because his brain would be chemically and electrically inert if you if right. you if you stopped all of that from mm-hmm. happening well it's it's the same energy that gets keeps the heart beating that keeps the muscles firing that does yeah. all that stuff right. it's all part of the same you know neural network if you will in our bodies and yeah, you drain it all, it's all gonna be dead. His heart's not gonna be going anymore. It kind of treats the body like like it, the electrical energy in our body like a battery. We've mm-hmm. drained the battery, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just if you just recharge him, stick him into the USB yeah. port and recharge him, you should be more, okay. More techno babble <laughs> from Star Trek by people who don't yeah. know what they're talking about. Yeah, really so, it's <sighs> what it is, is it's a scientific surrogate for the soul because you want his consciousness to be able to float take, around float around and take over people and do stuff mm-hmm. right right i, I mean i'm not gonna I, I i'm not gonna put too much on it but yeah by yeah. the way notice also the inconsistency here because the goal of the aliens it, who we're, we're told are the what's their the komar yeah even though they shouldn't have a word since they're in english non-corporeal for them, since they're non-corporeal <laughs> yeah. right so how do you say that with your non-corporeal lips but uh they want to eat everybody's bioneural energy that's why they want to get the voyager in and yet chakotay didn't get eaten they got it they got his bioneural energy out of his body but they didn't eat it so what's up with that right it does it's not there's no logical plot reason for that they just needed to have it's a plot device we needed to have him free in order yeah. to push the plot along. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a flaw. When when they first got to the nebula and they're starting to go inside it, I thought, oh, they're going to have the the aliens possess everybody. Yeah. And then maybe they'll have a reason for that. Like they want to get back at their enemies, but they need a physical ship to do that or something. But they didn't end up going that way. They just want to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, the, look, so, so. Voyager's the, a traveling space brain buffet. There right. you go. Well, I had a problem with that too, which is that so the we were told that the Comar can't survive outside the nebula, mm-hmm. except for the one in our friend Tuvok, mm-hmm. the one in, which which was able to get out of the ship. By the way, when they get to the nebula and get out of the shields to join his buddies, but can't get back in through the shields. Like, why did he leave? <laughs> you know, and like it just it, there's all these like it doesn't make sense. Like, how how does it survive outside the nebula? Well, reasons. How does it get out? Some of the, Why some, does it get out? <laughs> some of that they could have patched with dialogue. Like they could have mm-hmm. said, if they, if, if instead of saying we can't survive outside of the nebula, he could say we can't survive permanently outside right. of the nebula. Right. And one word would take away some of those problems. Right. Right. Yeah. They just didn't bother. Yeah. By the way, this is a bottle show. So we have yep. a, the whole thing is set on Voyager. There is no external 
stuff except for special effects shots like from the screen and mm-hmm. you know uh so forth and this has one of my least favorite tropes of voyager which is just pandemic on the show the climax amounts to people standing over mm-hmm. consoles talking dramatically <laughs> oh right <laughs> oh but you, you have you have a janeway leaping to her chair to set off the magnetron pulse which a magnetron pulse would be a magnetic force i guess yeah that but happens to flashlights and everybody gets stunned and it knocks the aliens out, I guess. I guess. Oh, by the way, also notice how similar this is to the next gen first season episode, Lonely Among Us, mm-hmm. where they pass a nebula and there's an energy consciousness thing that gets on board the ship and ultimately pos- starts possessing people and jumping around and ultimately gets in control of Picard. Yeah. Right, right. It wasn't. Another we, really bad episode. Yeah, yeah. wasn't there, was also, there an episode we just did where Harry Kim was in sick bay the whole time, or was that the fourth season episode? Well, there was we there's the one where he had the the alien booger, the the lomaine up his nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, right. They, now, they, now, it's like it always seems like it's someone's turn to lay in the sick bay for the whole episode. It's like a know, vacation week for them. <laughs> one thing, one thing I will say though, I prefer Lower Deck's handling of the alien spear that comes in, the energy spear where uh, was it Mariner basically crushes it so that she can get the cool new tricorder <laughs> yeah, with the right, battery, right, 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 right. That's right, <laughs> and then ends up getting destroyed anyways. I prefer that yes. that coverage of it. That was better. All right, let's talk about the religion in this one because the only <laughs> acceptable <laughs> religion <laughs> on Voyager is uh, Chakotay's uh, Central American. Uh, religious b- beliefs well, only human we get some klingon religion too oh that's yeah. right that's right we do get that yes barge of the damned one of the best episodes yeah. that actually is really good I, I i did i did like that so yeah, yeah. so uh we have this uh uh was it medicine wheel set yeah. up in the sick bay mm-hmm. by balana because that's a, that's a sort of real thing yeah sort of Sort of. And this is this is my pet peeve and i i warned the the uh, dom and jimmy that i was gonna rant on this mm-hmm. um this is not Native American spirituality. It is a trope of Native American spirituality. And, you know, Dom, you said, you know, kind of Central American and yep. maybe, maybe. Right. Now, now, admittedly, I'm more familiar with Northern North American Native American tribes, you know, from up, up in, in my Montana. Because I'm up in Montana right. and North Dakota where they come from, like the Sioux tribes and places like that. However... It this it turns out that all this is bogus because the guy who was the Native American expert, he claimed to be of you know American Indian ancestry. His name was his name given was Jamake Highwater. Boy, that sounds really Native American. <laughs> his real name was Jackie Marks, and he was of Eastern European descent. He had absolutely no Native <laughs> American background whatsoever. He was a fraud. But he was able to be the Native American expert on Voyager. So if, if, you're, if you watch this and you know anything about at least, again, North American, Native American spirituality, and it sounds bogus, that's because it is. Yeah. Right. He, there's, and this is a problem, actually, that many people in, of Native American background are very critical of, which is non-experts in their religion claim, and, and there are, by that I mean, you know, depending on the group you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't all have one religion. No. But there are these people who are non-Native Americans, or at least non-experts, who then claim to be teaching people Native mm-hmm. American beliefs. 
and and they're making it up and they're getting it wrong and it's kind of sort of maybe based on stuff that somebody believes. Yeah. And the term for those people is plastic shamans. Right. Because they're they're not real shamans, they just portray themselves as shamans, but they're they're plastic. And sort of the ultimate plastic shaman is Carlos Castaneda, who you can hear about and his amazing death cult in episode 132 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. <laughs> good episode. That was a good episode. Yeah, it, it always felt, all of the like Chakotay religion stuff always felt like it was, it, it was all so indistinct. So what is this sort of you know, nonsense? It yeah, was, like, it felt what, like, is, what is Chakotay's tribe? I mean, right, just, right. just say what his tribe is descended from and, and then use that. To explore mm-hmm. that culture instead of making up this fake stuff. Well, and they right. and I think they kind of hand wave at that by saying, "Well, this is you know all in the future, and all the Native Americans have left the Earth, and they're now on another planet, and so the tribe's broken up." No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't break right. up their tribes. They would have. I mean, I I could, I could see something like that happening in the far far future that you know the Native Americans decide we're done with you know these reservations and all that. We're going to go off to another colonize another planet. Fine, I I could see that. Some, but they would still know. stay in their tribes. Because yeah. they've been living on reservations for over 100 years now, almost 150 years in some cases, and they still keep their tribes today. Again, this is in, you know, this is in North America, this is the United States in particular, but they still keep their tribes. Their tribal identity is very important to them. And there are elements in this episode that are, I, I'm familiar with. Vision Quest is a Native American spiritual quest. It's going off, you know, and there's how different tribes do it, you know, different ways. Mm -hmm. But that is a thing. Is it the way they're describing it here? Probably not. No. (laughs) I was was sort of a little perplexed um, by some of the... Now, racial politics is much worse today than it was Mm -hmm. in the 1990s. But even in the 1990s, there were some odd, you know, SJW type stuff with regard to Voyager. I remember a TV guide describing Tuvok as an African American Vulcan. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yep, I remember okay, that. he's yeah. he's not African or American. He's a Vulcan. He may be black, <laughs> but he's a Vulcan. He's yeah. not African American, <laughs> right? But then there was apparently a group of people that were criticizing the casting of Robert Beltran as Chakotay on the grounds that he's not a Native American. It's like well, neither is Chakotay. Well, no, that's not the. It, Robert I know. Beltran is of Mexican ancestry. What right. Mexican Native Americans don't count as Native Americans? Yeah. What's up with right. that? Well, and if if you go with what they what they're trying to show him as Mexican, yeah. it would be more accurate to Central yeah. American Native. He's, he's got yeah. Mayan looking glyphs on that medicine yeah. wheel of his. Right. Well, it was, it was funny because there's there was an Ancestry.com commercial, you know, with the DNA testing, how this woman who was of Hispanic descent was surprised that she was half Native American, half Spanish. And it's like, <laughs> that's the very definition of Hispanic. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Okay. And which is what Robert Beltran is. So yeah. Yeah. it's that's the very definition. He is Native American descent. Just yeah. not the way we think of it, again, in the United States as a person who can you know have that direct lineage back to their tribes? Sure, and as as some people in in Mexico say, "Soy Indio," I'm an Indian. Right, right, right. One thing I did like though is that okay, given that they've got this medicine wheel that Balana is setting up to help guide Chicote's spirit back into his body, 
the doctor actually knows how it works better than she does and yes. is, and is willing to use it and she's surprised and is like I, i'm 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 programmed with all of these medical healing techniques including ones of a psycho spiritual nature duh mm-hmm. and i'm going yeah, yes right. that makes absolute sense he would be mm-hmm. trained in programmed in in the religious sensibilities of his patients and how to work within the framework of their belief systems yeah so right, he'd also right. like have a routine if you've got a Catholic who's in grave danger of dying, call a priest. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they, they we've there have been medical studies that show people who pray when they're sick have better outcomes and all that sort of stuff. Like he would be trained, you know, programmed. Sorry, programmed in all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we should point out that Cass telepathically senses Chakotay's presence floating, free floating around on the ship. And I remember when watching it, thinking, "Well, why doesn't Tuvok sense?" this presence now mm-hmm. it becomes clear that he doesn't sense his, this presence because tuvok's not not home so to speak uh it but, wasn't clear to me how much of tuvok not being home was the case in this episode i'd i might have to rewatch it to figure out is he possessed the whole time but my impression was maybe mm-hmm. not maybe yeah. Kess, they kept making Kess out to be having more telepathic telepathic powers and more uh psycho mm-hmm. uh psionic mm-hmm. powerful than than Tuvok, eventually that becomes clear. But But less disciplined than Tuvok. Right. Right. So, yeah, we get these things where someone keeps taking control of people's minds. One of the things I did like about this is they they turn the tables. They they miss the misdirection. Like, we we are supposed to think early on, and for most of it, we think this floating alien presence is uh, a malevolent alien. Like, this, that, that it's trying to do harm to the crew. And that's the bad guy in this episode. Mm-hmm. And they turn the tables on us, and it turns out, no, no, that's actually the good guy. That's Chakotay. There's another hidden alien, you know, alien among us that we need to throw out the airlock, uh, and that's you know inside Tuvok. So, I think that part is the nugget of something good. Yeah, I, I thought that was a, a good idea to do something like that. In principle, although your individual mileage may vary, uh, the very first thing that happens is, you know, they tell Tom Paris to set a course for the nebula, and he does, and then immediately they reverse course. And it's like, what just Mm -hmm. happened? And I have in my notes, ship won't go to nebula, Chakotay. (laughs) Then uh, then a few few lines down in my note, Kess detects presence, Chakotay. Yeah. A little bit down. (laughs) Energy drain, warp core shuts down, Balana, Chakotay. Mm-hmm. So I was, oh, core ejected, Chakotay. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I spot, I, from the very first one, I said to myself, they're, they're not going to the nebula because Chakotay is stopping them. And That's I, true. and I did not remember this episode from previously. Well, something similar that I, that I was noticing was from the beginning, at no time do they suspect Tuvok. They completely accept his story of being uninjured by the energy discharge twice mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the absence of other evidence until they find evidence of his Vulcan neck pinch on Kess, which I noticed. I don't know why the doctor didn't notice. That's exactly where the fingers go when you yeah. do a Vulcan neck yeah. pinch on someone. And Kess apparently bruises easily because no, I've never seen anyone else have bruises, but we needed to see that. So, yeah, it's true. That I mean, it's sort of, come on, like when you intentionally have to make the crew dense in order mm-hmm. to get your, your plot point across. Well, they yeah. do eventually, I mean, have Janeway confront Tuvok and say, could the mm-hmm. alien have possessed you? And he goes, well, it's a possibility. 
Right. That's yeah. true. That's it's true. like, you're the only neck pincher I know on board, dude. So I think <laughs> yeah. it's, it's more than a possibility. Right. Eventually, there is, we do find another Vulcan on board, but that's not for another season or two. So Yeah. Yeah. The, and that Vulcan doesn't exist yet. It's like all the shuttlecrafts and photon torpedoes that they come up <laughs> with later. They, they run them out of a right. replicator. Same yeah, thing with the crew. Some kind of Vulcan that we need. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of. Um, I, I did uh, like Janeway's got an interesting solution to the problem of the alien entity is able to possess people by investing all of the command codes in the one person, quote unquote, on board who cannot be possessed by a free floating malevolent entity. A class nine. What the, I'm trying to think of the the Ghostbusters. A class nine mm-hmm. free floating entity, malevolent. Yeah, entity. there you go. <laughs> um, which is the doctor. And so mm-hmm. all of the command codes go into this program, which can be hacked, which we find out is hackable. Oh, I love yes. the fact that we then have a ransomware encryption attack on the doctor. <laughs> yeah. So, which which Six. forces the command codes back onto Janeway. And right. Who's her solution vulnerable. then is to divide them yeah. between people. Right. Which actually probably was the better solution from the beginning is any any major thing has to be agreed upon by Mm-hmm. senior a group of senior officers i guess well and that's uh, that's normally how things work because there's a lot of those things like say self-destruct that both the captain and the first officer have to agree on otherwise right. it doesn't happen and of course the I first said, officer is out of commission as some kind of non-corporeal alien <laughs> at that moment right. well i i guess the the point is is that she makes more things have to be agreed upon, like course changes and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So I, okay, sure. I, I, I'll, I'll buy that. Unfortunately, but, after they do that, they then drop that plot entirely. Entirely. Mm-hmm. We, we never, we, like, they never, we never actually see that in effect, the, that right. thing. Um, yeah. There, there was a, uh, I had to speak, talk about this, one of the crew members who kept getting lines and FaceTime. Yeah. As, I don't know if it was a, so it was uh, Durst, Lieutenant Durst, who I don't know if he ever shows up again, played by Brian Markinson, who is a guy that you've, you you don't know the name, but you've seen him in tons yeah. of TV stuff. Right. And I kept wondering, is he the bad guy? Like, are we, are we setting him up to be the alien? Or why is he getting all this FaceTime suddenly? I've never seen him on Voyager before. Uh, there must be a story. Maybe he was a friend and of a producer and they got him in there, but he just kind of showed up. Or they were going to make him more... Uh, yeah, show up more often. That's what I thought is that he was a he was a second player who would have his own plot someday. Yeah, they, they never did kind of like kind of like Seska yeah. was. Right, right. Yeah, they they kind of took her and made her into something. Yeah, he, uh, he does yeah. come back for one more episode, but then dies. So, oh, oh poor Pete. Um, yeah. I one thing I note that I I read about when I was looking up this episode is Tim Russ was very invested in being a, the right kind of Vulcan. And I have to say, after Leonard Nimoy, mm-hmm. Tuvok might have been my favorite Vulcan on, mm-hmm. in, in Star Trek. That was he, a show he, with he, Bill Bixby, right? My favorite Vulcan? My favorite Vulcan, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, the little green guy sits on your shoulder. No, 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 that's actually even something totally That's the that. Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but... Uh, Tim Russ was so invested in being true to the series lore about Vulcans that he fought an attempt to have Tuvok being blinded by the phaser flash because it was established in the original series in Operation Annihilate that Vulcans have an inner eyelid to protect their vision from such a thing. And so he fought that. I thought that was uh, interesting. It's interesting. But on the other hand, just because you've got an inner eyelid doesn't mean you get it closed in time. 
Right. This, right. Although, from what I read, it would have been a similar enough circumstance to what Spock had that mm. it would have been a question. But, you know, I get, I get it, but... I like the fact that he was fighting for these little bits of Vulcan lore for real, real fan service there. Well, I, I get, I get the feeling that that Tim Russ is very much a, a Trekkie. I mean, he's very much into the Star Trek yeah. universe, not just as an actor, but even to this day that he very much uh, is a fan of the the, the franchise, even doing fan films, uh, yeah. uh, you know, of, of various kinds. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so good on him. Good on him. All right. Um, any other notes on this episode, uh, Father Corey? You know, I, I do kind of understand uh, Janeway's annoyance at the beginning when she's, you know, she's in the middle of her entertainment. She's in the middle of her hall novel and work calls. We all hate <laughs> when that happens. We all get annoyed yep. when that happens. So For I sure. think we can all uh, agree with her on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jimmy, how about you? So they reference an, a real world physics term in this episode, uh, magneton, and they have like a mm-hmm. magneton scan or sweep or something they're going to do. What yep. a magneton actually is, it's a unit of magnetic moment in atomic and nuclear physics. So I don't really know how to make sense out of what they're proposing to do on the show. I think they just picked magneton because it sounds cool and vaguely similar to magnet. Mm-hmm. Also, we have a scene in the, in the, whatever it is, the galley area, mm-hmm. the yep. or cafeteria, whatever that area is. And I found myself going, wow, Neelix has a ton of chayote squashes in his kitchen. <laughs> those, those are those little green pear shaped squashes with the wrinkly bottoms that, nice. that, that he's got all over the place. And I guess they were maybe considered exotic looking back in mm. the nineties, but. We've got them all over the supermarkets out here in Southern California, and (laughs) and they don't have a lot of flavor, and they're really hard, and you have to boil them for a long time. Mm. Well, didn't you you know they're native to the Delta Quadrant? I mean, that's the I thought we all knew that. (laughs) Yes, so also there, I saw some commentary on this that was that was saying that the actors were given some bad direction in in terms of how to do some of their performance. And one example of that that just leapt out at me was you have this scene where Neelix is in the kitchen and he's he's been, you know, cooking on stuff and Kess is there talking to him. And she's explaining that, like, last night I could, like, feel a presence in my quarters. And Neelix is immediately, who was it? Right. Like, he's romantically threatened by this nebulous mm-hmm. presence. You know, yeah. and he's being jealous or something of her sensing an invisible presence. Yeah. And and I was glad that they didn't pursue that any further because it would just feed the the Neelix is a jealous jerk, over possessive controlling trope that they've been working with him and Cass. I really disliked that element in in the Neelix character in in the beginning. And there's an episode that comes up where the, he and Tom Paris get in a romantic thing over Cass uh, under alien influence, of course. And I yeah. just, I just never liked that. I just, ugh, I just don't like. Yeah, I don't like that Neelix character element of the jealous boyfriend. It just I, feels icky. Yeah, I, I did. I did like the way the doctor turned the tables on Neelix's paranoia. Maybe you're the one who's possessed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, that was good. All right, uh, that should about do it for Cathexis. Uh, let's take a moment first before we finish things up to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Catherine O, KRP, Father Brian Z, 
Peter M. and Carl S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So what do you think of Cathexis, this Voyager story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Shadows of Pajem. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Shadows of Pajem, that's like a dark My Little Pony episode, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's, <laughs> that describes it right there. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, just because a man changes his drink order doesn't mean he's possessed by an alien. <laughs>